Go to John chapter 10 with me. Thank you, Lord. This is our year of living life more abundantly. And that word from the Lord comes from what Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. The New Living Translation says the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. This is one of those great dividing lines in the scripture. And this, if you'll pay attention to it, it it will clear, clear up any confusion that you may have had at any point in your life about something that happened in your life. You don't know, did God do that? What, was it me? Was it somebody else? Was it the devil? And I've said it to you before, but folks, if we can't tell the difference between God and the devil, between Jesus and the devil, we're confused. We are confused. And there's a lot of people all over the world laying blame at God's feet for stealing and killing and destroying. And they're calling it the sovereignty of God. When Jesus is going, hey, wait, that wasn't me. I didn't do that. And all you have to do is look back to his word. He said, it's the thief that comes to take away. I came not to take from you, but to add to you, to add to your life, not take from it. He said, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. I've come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. So as we continue to talk about this, you and I have to get clear in our hearts and in our minds what life actually is. I think in the weeks to come, we're going to spend some time talking specifically about something uh, that you see in the book of Luke chapter 12. But just for time's sake today, let me just kind of give you an introduction to it. Jesus had come into a place to begin to preach. And the Bible says that a crowd gathered to him so heavy. There were so many people that they began to trample each other. Black Friday at Walmart is not a new thing. This has been going on (laughs) since way back in the day. But these people weren't in search of a good deal on DVD players and blenders and all that kind of stuff. They came to hear from Jesus. And he began to preach to the crowd. And the Bible says in Luke chapter 12, verse 13, that one from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus, in the very next verse, I love it, in the King James Bible says, man, you can almost hear the frustration in his voice. Man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? He's saying to him, that's not my business to decide these things. Now, what we'll talk about in the future is what Jesus had talked about leading up to all of that. This, that this guy just interjected and interrupted It was just that. It was an interruption to the major revelation and the flow of what was coming out of Jesus. Jesus was busy introducing people to a God they thought they knew, but didn't. And he said some pretty weighty and important things in that. But in the middle of it, this guy interrupts and says, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. The inheritance. Now, what you have to understand about this particular account in scripture 
is it would help to know the context in which it was written and the time and the period in history that it came out of. This was, this was a time so long ago that families would fight about money. That's how long ago this was. What are you laughing at? You laughing because you think maybe this is still happening? This is, are you telling me the word of God is relevant to us today? Yeah, it is. Teacher, tell my brother, so you know it's a family issue, to divide the inheritance. Now you know it's a money issue with me. And Jesus said, man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? Now what he said to this man and to the crowd next, I guarantee you, is not what this dude came to hear. It's not what he expected to hear. It's not what he wanted to hear, but he heard it anyway. Jesus said, beware. Beware of covetousness. And then listen to these next words from him. He said, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. The New Living Translation says it like this. Life is not measured in how much you own. Life is not measured in how much you own. Now we're talking about the kind of life that Jesus came to give to us. But what he helps us identify right here is that, number one, life can be measured. You can actually measure how much life you're living. But the problem is people have been using the wrong stick to measure life. He said you can't measure it with what you own. Now that's actually good news for us. And that changes a lot of things. Because when you look at what you've got, if you're quick to realize, okay, this stuff can't measure how much life I'm living. That means life can't be measured in dollars and cents. It can't be measured in square footage. It can't be measured in acreage. It can't be measured by the emblem that's on the hood of my car. It can't be measured by the brand that's sewn into the back of my clothes. This stuff doesn't measure me. What I own doesn't measure how much life I'm living. Now, the good news for a lot of us is that by default, that also means your life's not measured by what you don't own. That's good news if you think about it, because there's a lot of folks who are really hung up on what they don't have, but that stuff doesn't measure you. Life's not measured by what you own. It's not measured by what you don't own. Your life's not measured by what somebody else owns. That's a big one right there. You get to looking around at what other people got and you compare what they have to what you don't have and somehow you come up with that that, that, that is a measurement of your life, the amount of life you are living or the amount of life you're not living. No, that stuff doesn't measure life. Your life's not measured by what they own and your life's not measured by what they don't own. This stuff can't measure life. Now, this is not what this guy came to hear from Jesus. What's on his mind? The money. Jesus, show me. <laughs> right? I came, I came to get paid, and I can't work this out with my brother. He and I aren't talking anymore, so you tell him. This is not what he came to hear. He said, this stuff doesn't measure your life. 
And Jesus went from that into telling the parable. You've heard it before. He's talked about a rich man who had uh, uh, ground that yielded plentifully. You remember this? And he had so much. It produced so much that he said, I know what I'll do. I'll pull down my barns and build bigger ones so that I have room to store all my stuff. And then he said, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, be merry. This was his big vision with all his stuff, right? We'll talk more about this in the future, but be watchful over the epitome of your vision being retirement. Take your ease, eat, drink, be merry. Now, I'm not saying there's something wrong with retirement, but I am saying there's something wrong with pressing towards that moment in your life where you live without an assignment from God. Because as long as you've got breath in your body, you have an assignment from God. Amen? But what God said to the man in this parable that Jesus told was, you fool. This night your soul will be required of you, and then whose will those things be which you provided? I want you to notice what Jesus said at the end of this in the book of Luke chapter 12. In verse 21, Jesus said, so is he, or so is he a fool who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. I like the New Living Translation that says, yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. You're a fool. Now, just because you have means and material things and money, having that is not what makes you a fool. Having that without having a rich relationship with God, that makes you a fool. That's what makes somebody a fool. So the good news in this is you can have a rich relationship with God. But not only can you have a rich relationship with God, you're a fool not to. Life is not measured by what you own, but life is measured by who you know. They say life's not about what you know, it's about who you know. And I think if you look at what Jesus is saying here, you might find there's some truth to that. Life is about who you know. And in John chapter 17, Jesus tells us this is how you can measure life. If it's not measured with the stuff, if it's not measured by what you own, okay, Jesus, well, what is it measured by? Well, here it is right here in John chapter 17, verse 3. Jesus said, this is eternal life. Or we might say, this is abundant life, that they may know you. He's praying to the Father. This is life, that you would know God. Life can't be measured in how much you own, but it can be measured by who you know. If you know God, your life can be measured by how well you know him. He said, this is eternal life that you or they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Knowing him. 
The book of Ephesians, don't take time to turn there just for time's sake. We'll put it on the screen for you. But Ephesians chapter three, verse 14 Let me read a few verses to you. It says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, notice this, may be able to comprehend. Somebody say comprehend. Man, religion has taught you and has taught the world that you can't comprehend. You can't understand God. But the scripture here, Paul's praying this. This is a spirit-led prayer that you'd be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. He's praying that you and I would comprehend something here, that we would have a working understanding and that we would know the love of Christ. That's so different than what religion will teach you. They'll tell you over and over, you could never know, we could never understand, and it sounds so humble, but the subtlety in it is this lie that's lurking beneath the surface that's telling you, you can't know, so quit trying, quit pressing, but that's not the truth. The truth is, according to the word of God, you can know. Now, perhaps we'll get to the end of this life and maybe we won't know everything there is to know about the great love of God. But there is nothing that says you can't know more about it today than you did yesterday. There's nothing that says you can't know more about it tomorrow than you did today. And every day of your life from now until you go to be with Jesus or he comes to get you, that you increase in that knowledge of him and his love every day, every day, every day every day. Know more about it. Comprehend it. The, the, the width, the length, the depth, the height. That's love in 4D. That's love in every direction, everywhere you look, rooted in it, grounded in it. And you see nothing but the love of God. But listen to the words he used here. He said, I'm praying that you'd come to know it, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. To know it, but it passes knowledge. The Amplified makes it clear. He said that you may have the power and be strong to apprehend and grasp. Does that sound like you can't know? No. You can know. You can be strong to apprehend and grasp with all the saints, God's devoted people, the experience, that's the key word, the experience of that love. What is the breadth and length and height and depth of it? Verse 19, that you may really come to know practically through experience for yourselves. Experience for yourself. Experience, what? For yourself. Not knowing God through somebody else's experience. Not knowing God through somebody else's testimony. And those things are good, but the problem is, if all you ever know about God is what somebody else said, there's a real risk involved there. What if they don't know him? What if all they have is knowledge of him? Because there's a difference. There's a difference between knowledge and experience. I use this example all the time. What if I were to give you, this is hypothetical, but what if I were to give you a choice? 
You're going to get on an airplane today. You're going to fly somewhere else. And I'm going to let you choose your pilot. Now, option A is this guy who has studied aviation. He's read every airplane book. He subscribes to every airplane magazine. He can point at any airplane and, and tell you what it is and who made it, can tell you all about the systems and the engines and the functions. And he, he has seen Top Gun like 11 times. And <laughs> this guy knows a lot, a lot about airplanes. He's never flown one. So keep that in mind. But he knows a ton. Option B, on the other hand, is somebody who's been to school, went through pilot training, got his private pilot's license, instrument rating, got his multi-engine rating, got his commercial rating, ATP, airline transport rating. And maybe he served in the military for, I don't know, 15, 20 years and flew everything the Air Force had to offer, man. And he, he was in every imaginable emergency situation, not just simulated, but lived through it, lived to tell the story. Maybe he flew in combat. Maybe he retired after that and went to fly for commercial uh, airline transport. And he's flown for them for another 15, 20 years been in every imaginable aviation environment, flown in bad weather, flown in good weather, landed in wind and rain and snow and sleet. Now, who you want flying? Hmm? Somebody with knowledge or somebody with knowledge and experience? Experience for themselves. I don't know which plane you're getting on. I'm going with B. That guy's flying me home because there's no replacing experience. Who you want, I don't know, pastor in the church you go to. Who do you want teaching the word of God to you? Somebody who knows about him or somebody who's had some experience with him? But that doesn't just apply to pilots and preachers. That applies to the people in the pew. We're raising up Another family, another generation. You've got kids and grandkids in your home and you're teaching them about God. But you know what? They need more than you standing there telling them, well, brother preacher so-and-so said this and sister singer so-and-so said that. They need somebody with some experience who can look them in the eye and say, son, daughter, grandson, granddaughter, let me tell you about when, when me and Papa didn't have nothing, but we sowed a seed and we trusted God and look what he's done for us and he brought us out. Let me tell you about a time where we were sick and nearly dead, but he raised us up. What are we doing here? We're going over experience with him experience with him. And there comes a time in their little lives where they've heard the story over and over and over about the goodness of God and the faithfulness of God. But even if they've heard your experience, there comes a time where they have to get their own God and experience them for themselves. Experience him. We pray this over our kids all the time. Father, we're asking you to give Justice and Jesse and the children of this church an encounter and an experience in your presence that marks their lives forever. Because you can't replace an experience with God. Amen? That's what the scripture is talking about. That you not just have the ability to talk about the love of God, but you've, have, you've had an encounter and an experience that you know him.
for yourself. For yourself. You don't have to know him through somebody else. You don't have to know him through me and through Sarah. You can know him for yourself. Is your heart hungry for that? Because that's the only way to measure how much life you're living. How well do you know him? How well do you know him? In the book of Hebrews, put this on the screen for us, guys. Oh, we are running out of time. Hebrews chapter 11. This is that great faith chapter. And you know, verse six, Hebrews eleven six. without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe. Man, this is, this is all he requires right here. He could have made you and I a laundry list of things to do before we come to him. But this is it right here. You ready? Here is the checklist, so to speak, of what's required in coming to God. He who comes to God must believe. You got to believe that he is, and you've got to believe that he is a rewarder of those who diligently do what? Seek him. Him first. He is a rewarder of those who seek him. You're a fool if you seek a bunch of other stuff without seeking a rich relationship with God. Amen. That's seeking him. That's desire coming up out of you. Father, I desire you. I desire to know you, not just know you through somebody else's experience or through somebody else's testimony. I want to know you for myself. And that, that is the promise of this new covenant that we're living in. He said it in the book of Hebrews, just a chapter or two before where we're reading, chapter eight. He said in verse 10, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I'll put my laws in their mind. I'll write them on their hearts. I'll be their God. They'll be my people. And none of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother saying, know the Lord for all shall know me. All shall know me. Now that doesn't eliminate the place for the ministry gifts. We know that. These are gifts that God gave us. But what it tells us is that when a man or a woman of God anointed to minister his word is ministering to you, if you see something, if you learn something, if, if the light of revelation comes to you, it's not that guy or girl who did it. It's the same spirit of God in them, which is the same spirit of God in you. Bearing witness to the truth that you've heard. The Spirit of God will teach you and He's in you for one big reason. So that you would know God. That you'd know Him. Because when you know Him, you won't be quick to believe a lie about Him. And this is the problem. People who don't know Him have tried to testify on His behalf. Can you imagine how frustrating it's got to be? I thank God I'm not God. You should be grateful I'm not God. I'm thankful you're not God. But how frustrating would it be to have to listen to people for thousands of years say God is like this and God does that and he's just standing there going, no, I'm not. No, I don't. I didn't do that. I didn't do that. I didn't do that. I didn't do that. One time there was a young girl in the congregation of our church 
when she was a teenager, she was in our youth ministry. She grew up and she was in her mid-20s. And she was involved in a car accident, headed home from work one night. Took her life like that. Her parents called Sarah and I and asked if we would do the homegoing service. Man, it's one thing to stand in church on a Sunday morning at a room full of believers, people who are excited and all of that. But the people that were in that congregation that day were all the young people that she worked with. She was a server at a restaurant. And so there was people there. And I would say much of the crowd either A, didn't believe there was a God, or B, if they did believe there's a God, they were mad at him for doing this. And I went before the Lord and I said, what do I say? And he said, you tell them two things. Number one, I didn't do it. You be bold about it. I didn't do it. And I came right back here to John 10. It's the thief that steals and kills and destroys. God didn't do it. But then he took me to the book of Jeremiah chapter 29. You know this verse, verse 11. I know the thoughts that I have for you. I know the plans, one translation says, that I have for you. And they're good, not evil, to give you a hope and a future. You know that verse? You've heard that before? If you go back and look at the context of Jeremiah 29, 11, God was speaking up through this prophet in response to what a bunch of other so-called prophets were saying on behalf of God. Has it ever stood out as funny to you that God would have to say, I know the thoughts I think towards you. You know why he had to say that? Because all these people, all these other dudes were going, this is what God thinks. This is what God says. And God's knowing that's not what I think. That's not what I said. And finally, he had to speak up through this one man that he had who would listen to him, who knew him and say, I know the thoughts I think. You want to know what I think? Come to me. You want to know my thoughts? You want to know my plans? You don't have to come to me. Just like you wouldn't want somebody who doesn't know you speaking for you. God doesn't want somebody who does not know him speaking for him. You want to know what he says? You want to know what he thinks? You want to know the plan? Go to him. Go to his word. You've got to know him. Now in Hebrews 11, he said he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. But that's verse six. If you back up to verse five, it says, by faith, Enoch, talking about a man named Enoch, was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony. You might say he had this reputation that he pleased God. He pleased God. Now, if you were to keep reading throughout Hebrews 11, man, you are going to come across the hall of faith. I mean, you got Abraham in here. You got Sarah in here. You've got Moses and Jacob and Isaac and one right after another, these great and huge characters throughout the scriptures, people who possess major scriptural real estate. You know what I mean by that? I mean, Abraham chapter after chapter through the book of Genesis tells his story and Sarah's and their walk of faith. He, he's in the New Testament and we have a New Testament perspective of his life. Moses, with Moses, you stop counting in chapters and you got to count in books. I mean, this guy wrote the first five books of the Old Testament. This is a major player, if you will, in the scriptural story. And one right after another, these are major, major individuals. But yet you've got this guy, Enoch, in verse five. And to me, he stands out in contrast to the others because of how little real estate he possesses. 
There's all of about five or six verses concerning this guy and his life throughout the Bible. And where he shows up is in the book, book of Genesis chapter five. And Genesis five is one of those chapters. It's one of the genealogy chapters. And I am going to do you a favor and not read this chapter to you. Unless you're sleepy and you need some rest, I'd be happy to read because it's one of those. It's so-and-so begot so-and-so and he lived this many years and he died. And then his son begot so-and-so and he lived this many years and he died. And it's one right after another through this whole genealogy. And there's nothing really remarkable said about any of them. How long they lived, who their daddy was, who their boy was, and when they died. One right after another. Until you get to this guy. Until you get to Enoch. And it says in verse 21 of Genesis 5, Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. Verse 22, after he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God. Say this next part with me. 300 years. Enoch walked with God. Say it again. 300 years. What's the title of this message? Just keep walking. Just keep walking. There's no other detail throughout this genealogy before Enoch or after about anybody and their walk with God. Not one. So this man stands out in the great genealogy from Adam onward. And the thing that stands out about, about him more than anything else is his walk with God. You go on a 300-year walk with somebody, by the end of that walk, you will know them. You will know them beyond any shadow of any doubt, right? You start walking with somebody and you just keep walking and you just keep walking and you just keep walking. By the end of that walk, you are going to know that individual maybe better than you know yourself. Amen. And what's interesting to me about it is it says he begot Methuselah or back up verse 21. Enoch lived 65 years. He begot Methuselah. Then he walked with God 300 years had sons and daughters, and all the days of Enoch were 365 years. So you've got the 65 years before he was a dad, then something happened when he had a son. And for the next 300 years, he walked with God. That stands out to me because I think it's possible to, to, to know God and, and uh, know him to a great degree. But I know from my own life, that something happened when my son was born. And for all the Bible teachers I've had in my life, and I've had some great ones, some of the best, I believe, there's not many, if any, who have taught me about the heart of God more than my kids. Because when you are trusted with one of your own, it, it illuminates this whole other part of your heart and those of you with kids and grandkids know exactly what I'm talking about. Love like you've never seen, like you've never felt. Oh yeah, you heard about it because your mom and your daddy preached it to you. You'll never know until you have kids. You'll never know until you have kids. You just won't know until you have kids of your own. 
And guess what? They were right. But what were they talking about? This love. And you got a first-hand experience with that love for yourself. And I can see here, if, if these indicators are right, that something happened at that point in his life, and it started this 300-year walk with God. What is a walk? It's just fellowship. You walk, and what do you do while you walk? You talk. Now, you stop and think about this. It sounds so simple, but we just saw it in Hebrews 11. This is the whole reason this man is not only in this chapter, but his life is the reason behind Hebrews 11.6. Because Hebrews 11.5 about Enoch says he had this testimony. He pleased God. Well, what do you know about him? You know one thing about Enoch. He walked with God. And evidently this is so pleasing that God would have somebody to walk and talk with for 300 years that it put him in this chapter, in this book, in this Bible. And because of him, we have these words. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. What's he talking about? He's talking about faith, yes, but he's talking about the walk of faith. We walk by faith. And this is what brings pleasure to the heart of our Father, unlike anything else, that you'd walk with him. You know what God is saying? I'm going to go for a walk. Come on, walk with me. And people are running to God and sad to say it, most of them are coming because there's a pressing need and, and they, you know, are calling on God because it's come to that. And oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, I need you, I need you, help us if you're real, help us, you save my baby, save our lives, deliver us to God, I'm calling on you and I need it and I need it now. And you know what he says to that? Hmm, I hear you. Walk with me. Walk with you. I don't have time to walk with you. I need an answer. I need some money. I need a healing. And he's going, yeah, I know, I know. Walk with me. Walk with me. And sad to say, most people have no time for a walk. But who in here would raise your hand and say, you've been walking with God for, you know, five, ten years, something like that. Hands all over the place. Would you say, keep your hand raised, if you'd say that your life is different than it was before you started walking with God? Yeah? What about 20 years? Anybody? 30 years? Got any old timers in here? You've been, 40 years you've been walking with the Lord. And, huh? Is your life different? Is it better? I wonder how it would be after a 300 year walk with God. What does that say to you? It says to me, give him time. Give him time. Let him do some things in your life. Let him give you an encounter and an experience with him that knowledge can't give you, that book smarts can't give you, that somebody else's word and somebody else's testimony can't give you. You give him time and you wake up every day and say, Lord, where are we going today? Where are we walking to today? 
It's like I told you a moment ago, it's been 3,785 steps from where we were to where we are today. But that's just one step after another, after another, after another. And you know what? That pleases him. I'm so thankful to be able to stand in front of you today, confident that I please my father. How do I know he's pleased with me? Because I took a step and then I took another step and then I took another step. And instead of turning around when it seemed impossible, instead of running away when it seemed too expansive and expensive, we just kept taking steps towards it and steps towards it and steps towards it. And he loves it. He loves it. I think if God had a personal ad, it would read, Love's Long Walks. God-seeking human must love long walks. He loves it. So what are you going to do? If he loves walking with you, if he loves talking with you, and if it was enough to put Enoch in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, what are you going to do? Huh? Just keep walking. Take a step. Just like Sarah ministered to us. Take a step. Take a step. You see what he's called you to do. You see what he's called you to be. And I get it. It's big. I get it. You look at where you are and you look at where he wants you to go. And it makes no sense. How in the world do you get from here to there? How do I get from this to that? One way. You take a step. And then you take another one. And every one of them by faith. And there's nothing that brings him more pleasure than you walking by faith. Amen. 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 I know my son, when he was born, taught me more about God. I felt like than many of the things I'd heard my whole life growing up, of course, and I heard great truth and revelation, but I'm telling you again, and it was an experience for myself with love. And I'm praying the same thing this morning that the apostle Paul prayed that you would come to know the love of Christ, that you'd comprehend it, that you'd apprehend it, and you'd know what the, the length of it and the depth of it and the breadth and the height of it, that you'd be so rooted and so grounded in it that nothing can pull you off of it. Nothing can take you away from it. When you're rooted and grounded in it, you know him. And when lies come about him, you go, wait a second, that's not the God I know. That's not the God I know. You know him. And there's plenty of people going, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God. But you know what David said in the book of Psalm chapter 63? Oh God, you are my God. My God. Kind of the original OMG. <laughs> oh God, you are your mind. My God. Amen. Sarah, would you come? Stand on your feet. We took a few minutes extra with you today. But I'm encouraging you that life, you can't measure it any other way. You can't measure it in what you own. You can't measure it in what you don't own. You can't measure it in what you possess or material things. It's not measurable in any other way, but in how well you know God. Do you know him? And maybe you know him to a degree, but do you realize you can know more of him today than you did yesterday? 
people like to quote that from, what is it, the book of Isaiah, where God said, my thoughts are not your thoughts, my, my ways are higher than your ways. And, and people look at that and just resign and think, well, you know, he's God, we're idiots. <laughs> that, that wasn't God dooming you, it was God inviting you. Think higher, live higher. Come up here where I am. Come on, let's walk together. Let's talk together. I want to know you and I want you to know me. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817 577 You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text Legacy and any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you. And remember, you are always welcome here in the House of Faith.